HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit wholefoodsmarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. Food and travel, they go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at charitybuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. You're listening to Meant to be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Cora Lee. Josie Baker, yes, that is his real last name, is the founder of Josie Baker Bread, which cranks out 400 loaves of dip loaves a day, 360 days a year, out of the mill in San Francisco. Today, we'll be talking about the history, current aesthetic, and feasibility in a gluten-free world of naturally leavened breads in America. Thanks so much for joining me, Josie. Thank you very much for having me, Coral. (laughs) So how did naturally leavened breads travel from Europe to America, or rather, how did they adapt when traveling? Um... That's a big. That's a big question there. <laughs> um, you know, I think American current American bread has its origins in in European bread. Um, primarily, we draw on French traditions, but also some Italian um, as well as some Eastern European um, baking practices. Mm-hmm. One second here. So when we think of like the artisanal, can you hear me okay? yeah, we can hear you. Um. Um, yeah, and you know, I think one thing that um, 
that I'm really excited about that we're doing is that we are taking these traditions and, um, you know, blending and evolving them into ways that haven't been done before, where we're we're drawing on um, practices that you know have been done for for hundreds and hundreds of years, but we're also uh, we're picking and choosing and combining them in ways that um, you know, in my in my opinion, is is yielding some of the most delicious bread that probably has ever been made on the planet, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was just about to say, so with this blending of all these different traditions, is that um, is the artisanal country loaf that we see in so many restaurants today, is that a uniquely American thing, or is that something that we can find in France or in Italy? Well, I think in broad strokes, that that's really has its origins in French bread, you know, um, bread or pan au levant is a traditional French style that um, primarily a white flour bread that has a small amount of whole grain and traditionally is made sourdough culture. Um, but I think what we're we're seeing now in, in some some artisan bakeries is um, a incorporation of, um, I guess, really of, of, of high quality fresh whole grain flour in proportions that that really hasn't been hasn't been done before. Uh, if we're talking about you know quote unquote country bread. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So we have this or we did used to have this kind of preference of white bread. Um, I'm thinking of like how bread changed during the Industrial Revolution. And so how are we doing another flip? Are we preferring whole grains again? Well, it remains to be seen. I mean, I think what, what one thing that's become really clear is that lots of people have issues with bread, quote-unquote bread. And the reason why I say "quote unquote" is because, you know, the the loaves that are being made today, you know, the majority of bread that's made in America today is not it's not even really made by people. You know, it's made by machines, and <clears throat> it's made to be able to, you know, be shipped around the country and then sit on a supermarket shelf for you know, days, not weeks, um, and basically remain unchanged. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a product that's made with ingredients that have been reached of all of their alive properties and uh, not to mention then other ingredients are added that uh, further remove it from, I think, the, the category that, that, we that we really think of when we think of bread so Mm -hmm. no i totally agree i think that is more the question that i'm interested in as far as like what what are people responding negatively to because saying that people are responding negatively or that people can't eat or have allergies to bread you know when you compare this factory made um, 
object with a loaf of artisan bread that's made with high quality ingredients and you know uh, it's paid attention to along the course of its lifespan you compare those two products and they're really they're totally different and mm-hmm. I think while lots of people have problems with the former I think the truth of it is that most people in America haven't yet been fortunate enough to have the latter but I think those who have quickly realize that actually they don't they don't have any problems with that kind of bread and um, that's something that over time will just get sorted out Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, um, we are calling these two very different things by the same name. Um, and so how does our experience with Wonder Bread kind of affect our expectations or standards or a taste for bread in general? Well, it's another very complicated question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that, you know, a loaf of Wonder Bread is very cheap, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's because it is part of a larger system that has been built with really the primary goal to, you know, drop the price of the loaf while also maximizing the profitability. And so, you know, quality, freshness, nutrition, um, integrity, I mean, those things aren't really values or priorities that are factored into the creation of that loaf. Um, it is very affordable, but, you know, you compare that to, to a loaf of bread that has actually been taken care of from very beginning to very end, there's no way around it. And not to mention, you know, made with high quality ingredients that similarly require care and attention to be paid, um, throughout their lifespan. It's just a it's going to be, it's going to cost more money to make something like that. And, you know, I think the truth of it is not that artisan bread is expensive. It's that factory-made mass-produced bread is too cheap. Mm -hmm. But it ties into a much larger, complicated question and conversation about, you know, what is the true cost of food and what are the values of our culture and of, of, you know, the individuals within our culture and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think that the vast majority of people, if given the choice between access to both products, I, I can't imagine that very many people would pick the, you know, the styrofoam mm-hmm. over the bread. <laughs> Maybe from like a nostalgic standpoint, but um, I was actually uh, asking. Hey, absolutely. Yeah. I'll eat a I'll eat a fluffer nutter <laughs> on Wonder Bread with the best of them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. So on the heels of that, what is um, what is the mission of New American Bread? What does it look like? Um, yeah. How is it going to be very different? Well, I think that. I think that it's a balance of what what is the norm right now, which is which is very affordable 
Um, it's very durable. It is um, travels well, um, but the the quality of it and the nutrition of it are and the um, the traceability, the transparency is is really missing from that. Um, as is, you know, any any information about the process or the people who actually went into its creation or the growing of the ingredients. You know, I mean, a loaf of factory-made industrial bread on a supermarket shelf, it, it's basically anonymous. You know, there's no way that, that we know anything about where the wheat was grown that went into its loaf, nor, you know, any, any of the individuals involved in its creation. So I think the new American bread does have that, um, that traceability and that transparency to the origins of the loaf. And it also, you know, it allows the eater to experience um, the story of the, of the ingredients, right? You, you can actually experience where this bread came from, right? Everywhere from, you know, the farmer that grew the grain to the miller that milled it into flour to the baker who mixed it into dough and baked it into bread. Um, and I, I do believe that a key piece of that loaf is the whole grain nature of it. Now, I'm not, I'm not super dogmatic about it. I don't think every single loaf, you know, that is made has to be 100% whole grain. In my bakery, there's, a whole bunch of bread that we make that's just mostly whole grain. Um, and I think there's obviously a place for bread that's made completely with white flour, right? That's just, um, it's a matter of the, the relative roles that these foods play in our diet, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to, we're not going to eat three sandwiches a day. Um, we're not going to eat three sandwiches a day, period, let alone, you know, if you are going to eat three sandwiches a day, and you want to have a healthy diet, you better hope they're not on, you know, white as snow wonder bread. (laughs) Um, So I think those are the key pieces of it, really, that it's, um, I think as far as the locality of it, you know, not everywhere is, has the right climate and conditions for growing grain. And I I don't think we need to, to shoehorn, you know, everywhere, to to be that kind of place, right? And so I think grains, grain. In order to think of a of a local loaf, I think you really need to think regionally because you know, depend. Like in California, we're we're kind of lucky, right? We have a humongous state, and so saying that something is grown is in California it could be many hundreds of miles away. From, from wherever you are, but it still counts as, you know, local um, California. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, other states, different parts of the country in different sized states, you know, they don't have that luxury. And, you know, we, uh, I'm searching for the, the simplest the simplest rules to follow, but, but not to oversimplify things. Mm-hmm. And so does uh, San Franciscan bread differ at all from New American bread? Or why do we see that so many of these good or amazing, inspiring bakeries are coming out of San Francisco or from San Franciscan-based bakers? 
Well, San Francisco has a rich history um, of bread, and particularly sourdough. And, you know, San Francisco sourdough is a style of bread unto its own. Many people mistakenly believe that sourdough bread has its origins in San Francisco, which is, uh, I'm sorry to report, <laughs> not, not actually the case. Um, but, you know, as legend would have it, the uh, gold miners who, who came out, you know, a couple hundred years ago with, uh, with their sourdough starters in little pouches, you know, around their necks. Um, you know, a sourdough starter is a really useful way to make incredibly cheap, um, healthy food, right? Because of the, the pre-digestion that is accomplished with the, with the sourdough yeast and bacteria, um, you know, I think that even, even a couple of centuries ago, people had a, a physiological and intuitive sense that it was something they should do. You know, they should inoculate their mixture of flour and water with their sourdough culture because, because really it makes them feel better, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we, we try to find that balance of, um, obviously we want, we want to make food that appeals to our taste buds, but it also needs to make us feel, feel good upon eating it. And, you know, I think that that balance of consciousness that we have in the Bay Area, which is in no small part due to the lovely climate here that is really um, lends itself so easily to growing uh, year-round, practically. Um, We have uh, this bounty of of different plants and and animals. and we have an awareness about um, the, the nutrition and the, the health implications of all of our foods. Um, and I, I think we are finding a really nice balance of incredibly delicious bread that is, you know, made in the most nutritious way possible. Um, it's also, you know, the density here in the Bay Area um, and the the economy out here, um, you know, people, lots of people value um, the the time, energy, money that goes into making a you know a beautiful, delicious, nutritious loaf. Um, and so there really is there, there's a big demand for that, and there's the resources to back it up. Mm-hmm. I think that's a a difficult um, thing to enjoy, though, which I think we'll get to later in our conversation about how um, bakeries can better serve their communities. Because I don't know, I just feel like it's it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, we love the amount of time that it takes to put into one loaf, which might be like a few days, but some people don't have, you know, the time or the effort or the, the energy to, to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is a very, it is a very, uh, nuanced, complicated conversation that, you know, gets into all sorts of questions of, uh, of politics and cultural values. And, you know, I mean, and it's a difficult, uh, nut that I, I, I make no 
claims to have cracked about the, you know, like the fact that you know making bread in this style is not affordable to everybody, right? And so, what is how how do we do our part to um, to be aware of that, but also to make decisions um, that you know satisfy the craft person in us, but also like satisfies the the neighbor and the the humanitarian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that gets to larger practices about how you know how how one runs their business, and you know the fact that you know we sell our loaves for you know seven dollars. Um, I know that's un- unaffordable for some people, and um, you know we do other we do other things in order to try to be you know. Good Samaritans and contributing members of society, you know, we donate um, hundreds of loaves a week to um, local food banks and homeless shelters, um, and you know that's 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 one way that that we try to do our part to you know be responsible members of, of a community. Mm-hmm. This is Meant to be Eaten. I'm speaking with Josie Baker of Josie Baker Bread. We'll be right back after a short break. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. And we're back. I'm speaking with Josie Baker of Josie Baker Bread. We were just talking about how sourdough um, is kind of misunderstood to have originated in San Francisco. But in that same vein, um, as sourdough is kind of this emblem of San Francisco, how has the dark crust, open airy crumb, tartine style loaf become the emblem of sourdough bread? Um, how, how, how has, what, how has tartine style bread become the emblem? Right. Why is it that um, when we think of sourdough bread, that's kind of the go-to image we have of it? Well, I think something that Chad, um, did with did at Tartine, um, which is which I'm extremely grateful for, and I'm a huge fan of of him and and all of the bakers there, the work that they do. Um, they they did sort of define a a 
a standard um, with with their with the tartine loaf, which um, you know Chad shared with the world so generously through through his book um, Tartine Bread. It was really a, an exercise in extremes um, that was kind of outside of what most, almost anybody else was doing at that time, or maybe anybody else was doing at that time, at least here in America, um, you know, with the, the boldness of, of the crust and the creamy openness of, of the interior of the bread, um, it was really, um, you know, the first time I think anybody has that bread, they're really struck by by that variety and the, the, the spectrum that that they create in those breads, and you know he he put out a, a remarkably beautiful book that shared shared the process um, and a lot of the products with with the general public, and you know I think it, it very much defines the generation of of bread bakers you know, who saw that book, saw what was possible, became head over heels in love and, you know, started, started baking all the time. Um, and so I feel really fortunate to have, um, to have been so close to, to that bakery and to that bread. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, thing of beauty. I guess we should place this in context. So pre uh, dark crust, creamy open crumb, um, what was kind of the aesthetic of bread? Was it like softer crust? Um, maybe not baked as darker? What did people kind of like to go for? Yeah, I mean, the, the tartine loaf um, is well, it was baked considerably darker than most breads, at least here in the States. I mean, I think that um, uh, I believe that Chad, you know, learned learned the ways and evolved them in his own way, but from, you know, from other bakers around the world. I think there's a handful of bakers in, in, in France that he was really inspired by. Um, and um, he worked some with Dave Miller, is another amazing bread baker here here in the states, um, just a few hours outside of San Francisco, um, and yeah, it's much it's much more extreme than you know your standard artisan loaf of bread, um, and the amount of water in in the in the finished loaf, but also in in the bread dough, was much higher than what most people. We're, we're used to, and the result on that is the result of that is a um, a more open crumb, right? Bigger holes in the bread, but also just a more supple interior. Hmm. Um, which both of those things require walking a razor's edge. Um, you know, you, you you push the bread, you bake the bread just a little bit too much, and all of a sudden it's all burnt. Which lots of people think that think that it's burnt if they've never had that kind of bread before and um you know it isn't until they taste it they realize that um it's actually not well there's there's small sections of the crust that's burnt but 
most of it um, is, is not actually burnt, and it actually provides a really amazing variety of textures and flavors. Um, and, yeah, I mean, less water in the dough means that the crumb, you know, the holes in the bread are, are smaller and more regular, and um, bread doesn't keep as long, and it's not as supple. Um, so... Yeah, very much uh, the razor's edge. I baked, I'm learning how to bake bread on my own, and I baked on a rainy day where it was a bit humid, and I added a bit more water in the dough, and I just came out with all these weird puddle-looking loaves because I just didn't know how to handle it properly, so <laughs> yeah, it's really that'll hard. Happen. I mean, that's that's the thing, right, is you, you, add, you add water to the dough because it gives you the potential to achieve this, this greater... Um, texture differential between the outside and the inside and, you know, bigger holes, but it is also, it's easier to screw up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I got like a focaccia style. Totally. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So then the thing is, uh, Tartine is pushing to extremes the way they bake um, with high hydration, baking it really dark, but also the dough is primarily, right, it's like a a white flour. And so why do you think there is this, um, it's like, is it just easier to produce or is it better received that um, the bread is just white flour? Um, Is it harder to produce whole grain loaves consistently? Why the why is the white bread still re- receiving all the kind of popularity and success? Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't really speak to, you know, exactly what their, what kind of flowers they use or, you know, why they, they do it the way that they do it. Um, um, I can talk about why I do what I do if you want. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we use, we, we, we mostly use whole grain flour and all of the whole grain flour that we use in our bakery, we mill ourselves fresh. And the reason that we mill it fresh is because whole grain flour um, has a shelf life. And, you know, basically once you mill it, um, it starts, it's only going to get worse after you mill it, right? You expose the fragile insides to, oxidation and eventually things go rancid and so you know I I believe that if you want to use a lot of whole grain flour the freshest way to get that flour is to mill it yourself and uh, you know I I very much don't think that every bakery needs a mill in it nor does every baker every home baker need a mill at home I mean there's there's more and more options both for home bakers and, and professional bakeries to obtain fresh, high quality whole grain flour. Um, you know, us having a mill in our bakery was really a desire to get as deep into the process as possible and to use flour that was as fresh as possible. Um, and I'm really intrigued with the idea of encouraging, kind of like getting out of the way of our ingredients as much as possible. So with, with any given, you know, harvest from a farm, um, you know, to take those, those grains and to kind of do as little to them as possible, transforming them into, 
into the finished product of bread, of course, um, is probably what I'm what I'm most interested in. And in order to do that, you have to leave the grain whole, right? So you need whole grain flour, and you've got to mill it fresh. And so um, it definitely is. It's harder. Um, because, you know, the, the craft, milling is a craft, right? And I didn't, I definitely did not have a full appreciation for how, oh, one second here. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I definitely didn't have an appreciation for how nuanced and complicated the craft was when we first started out. And as a result of that, the quality of our bread definitely suffered when we first started milling because there's no didn't know how to source the grains properly, nor did we really nor did we really know how to mill them, nor did we really know how to work with fresh milled whole grain flour. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that makes three strikes right there. So um, mm-hmm. over the years, we've um, learned a few things along the way and um, now have a, have a much more nuanced appreciation for the, the things that we need to pay attention to you know, in doing, you know, this craft the way that we've chosen to. And so, you know, we take great pains to find harvests uh, from farms of, you know, varieties that perform well in our bakery with our process, Um, just like we take great pains to make sure that we are milling the grains properly, um, so on and so forth. You know, the mixing of our, the maintenance of our sourdough starter, the mixing of our dough, the shaping of our loaves, um, and finally the baking of the loaves. So it's really just expanding um, our reach in the process from, from beyond, you know, taking flour to finished loaf. We, we take the grain to the flour to the finished loaf. Right. So you were saying um, milling your own whole grains is very difficult and it it definitely makes storage a lot more difficult. But how is it difficult in the baking process? Like how does whole grain flour react to water or other ingredients differently than white flour? Well, there's a few simple rules, but then also um, um, a few caveats that really complicate things. I mean, if, if we're going to make some general principles about, because I wouldn't, I, I, well, I'll say this, whole grain flour is white flour, right? Which is the, the white flour is the part that makes a sticky, stretchy dough, right? You, you form gluten, which is the stretchy part of dough, um, from the components of white flour, but then you also, in whole grain flour, you have germ and bran. Germ and bran don't play any role in the structure of the bread dough or the finished loaf, other than to, if we're just talking structurally, it just weighs it down, mm-hmm. right? Because those, it's like, it's like throwing a bunch of very delicious, nutritious little pebbles <laughs> into your bread dough. Right. Um, so that is true about all whole grain dough. So depending on what your parameters are, what your what your goal is, 
you're not going to have as voluminous of a loaf of, you know, if you use the same amount of whole grain flour and the same amount of white flour, because it has the bran and the germinate, which don't contribute to the overall volume. Um, whole grain flour typically soaks up a good deal more water than white flour. And now that obviously is complicated by the grind of the flour and the freshness of the flour and the particular variety, harvest, farming practices, etc. All those things impact absorption. So it's not it's not a hard and fast rule, but you know, as a rule of thumb, you could say, you know, generally whole grain flours soak up between 10 and 20 percent more water than white flours. And now, again, there's actually a really broad spectrum. I've worked with some whole grain flours that soaked up literally twice as much water as white flours. And I've worked with some whole grain flours that soaked up less than a comparable white flour. So there are plenty of exceptions to that rule. Um, another rule of thumb, which this one, this one by and large holds, is that whole grain flour ferments quicker than refined flours, and that's for the simple reason is that the yeast and bacteria that are feasting on the flours uh, appreciate the nutrients of whole grain flour, just like our body appreciates those added nutrients of whole grain flour. So, you know, as a rule of thumb, whole grain flour soaks up more water and ferments faster. Um, but because of the first idea I conveyed that it's got all this um, bran and germ, which is not contributing anything meaningful to the structure, you end up with a more fragile dough. And so what that means is that the margin of error shrinks. And what does that mean? It means it's really easy to end up with, uh, with a puddle um, that doesn't turn into a very pretty loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. But I think for most most people, it, it's actually not so much that it's more difficult. It's actually just that it behaves differently, and it's not what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, um, you know, people are going to make bread that isn't as good as it can be, and they're going to think it's because... Um, either because whole grain bread sucks or because they suck as a baker, but um, neither is true. It's just you got to learn, you got to learn how to interact with, um, with each ingredient um, and, you know, listen closely to what it has to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Whole Foods by my house has been out of half white farmer ground um, bread flour for the past few weeks. And I always, Every Sunday I go and I run to the bread flour aisle and someone is buying all of them. My boyfriend is so confused as to why I'm so upset with the whole wheat. <laughs> I'm just like, you don't understand how much harder it is. <laughs> it's just so hard. Um, but yeah, so with this, um, with the whole grain being harder to manage, um, I mean, this totally contributes or brings us back to our conversation of why this bread costs so much more. And so when these breads are costing like $7 or $10, how and why should people that usually pay $4 or even $1 for bread buy these new loaves? Well, you know, ultimately that's for every individual to decide what, what is of value to, to them. You know, I, I can't make any, any claims about 
what people should or shouldn't value. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that the most the most I could do is for um, really is for to just encourage people to think about you know where whatever whatever bread you're eating, where did it come from, and what's in it, right? Because you know most bread that's made in this in this country really the answer to both of those questions is i don't know mm-hmm. you, we don't know where it came from and we don't we don't actually know what's in it because even if you read the ingredient label you don't know what half of that shit is mm-hmm. cuz it's long oh can i swear on the air <laughs> yeah no that's fine <laughs> <laughs> um it's a bunch of other stuff that's been put into bread. That's that's definitely not flour, water, and salt, right? It's all sorts of stuff that has to do with really the, the economics of, you know, the mass production of industrial food. Um, and, you know, that's why those ingredients are in there. They're not to make the bread more healthy. Um, well, maybe they'll that, be able to say, to be able to claim that it's more healthy. Um, but... You know, and so, again, I think everybody has to make that decision for themselves. But, um, you know, it's, it's up to whether or not people prioritize and value knowing those those vital details of, of things that they're putting in their body, right? And, and also, obviously, you have to decide based on how good something tastes. You know, I mean, I'm very much not arguing for people to make decisions solely based on, you know, on the story behind a loaf of bread. I mean, it it has to obviously taste good. And I I think, again, for most people, if you take a loaf of well-made artisan bread and compare it to something that you buy in the supermarket, there's not really much of a comparison. You know, I mean, the stuff that's made with care... um, it's just better. It's better on all levels. And yes, it costs a little more, and it's a matter of whether or not, you know, that's something that you value or not. And there's no, you know, I, I don't make any value judgments. There's there's plenty of ways to, you know, cast our votes, and, you know, I, I don't think that everybody needs to vote with, you know, the, the loaf that they buy. But Yeah, is there a way that um, bakers or bakeries can better support the communities that they're feeding? Is there a way to, you know, make these breads more accessible? Um, you know, I mean, so one of the things that we do is we offer classes for people to, to teach people how to bake their own bread. I mean, it's obviously, you know, buying flour versus buying bread, flour is much cheaper mm-hmm. than bread. And so, if you, um, you know, if you don't want to pay for somebody else to go through the trouble of making it, but you do want it to be made out of, you know, quality ingredients that you actually know where they're coming from. I mean, the only real way to make sure that you know what's in the loaf of bread is to make it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we host multiple classes a week for home bakers um, where they come into the bakery and we basically tell them all the secrets for how we do our thing. And, um, you know, the truth of it is it takes, it takes a lot of time and it's, um, 
it's not that difficult, but you, you definitely have to be interested in it in order for the bread to turn out any good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, if people are interested in, in getting into it, then we, we obviously are happy to share that understanding. So, you know, that's one way that we, um, you know, participate in, in that way. Um, I think, you know, we, we donate a lot to mostly to lots of local schools, but other, you know, arts organizations, nonprofits. Um, and we, let's see. Do you have any ideas? No, I mean, these are all, these are all great. Um, I think the classes is like- One thing I've toyed with for a little while is actually making, um, just making a smaller loaf that would be that would have a lower price point mm-hmm. in order for um, you know for it to be more affordable. I mean, we sell these really little loaves of bread filled with cheese, and they're you know four bucks. Mm-hmm. But most of our loaves, which are like between a pound and a half and two pounds, those sell for between seven and seven fifty. But I, I think the truth is is that for some people it's too expensive, but for other for for some people it's also just too much bread. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the possibility of making a smaller loaf that is a little bit more affordable um, is something that I've I've actually been toying with really recently, um, specifically in order to, to lower the price point to make to make our bread accessible to a greater portion of the population. Mm-hmm. That actually kind of reminds me of like the cheese scrap uh, section at artisanal cheese shops where you'll have this cheese that's like $80 a pound, but then you'll have a little bit and it's like 50 cents. You're like, yeah, I got to try it anyway. So I think like the tiny breads thing totally works. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, this has been Meant to be Eaten. I'm Coralie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.